Thank you for downloading this sermon from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website at www.trinityspartanburg.com. First Peter chapter 5, verses 8 through 11. Let's stand for the reading of the Word of God. This is our text for the sermon this morning. First Peter 5, 8 through 11. This is the word of the Lord. Be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. But resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We pray that as we come to this passage that you would make us like little children who are longing for a meal and that we would be satisfied with the pure milk of your word. Lord, help us to focus our minds, which are always wandering, and our hearts, which are restless, on your word, that we might be helped, and that the Spirit would work sanctification within us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. We have an enemy that is more powerful than many of the common things that we consider to be our enemy. We have an enemy that is more powerful than a corrupt government. We have an enemy that's more powerful than a crippling disease. We have an enemy that's more powerful than a lonely existence. We have a real enemy, and his goal is not just to make us suffer, but his goal is to lead us to make shipwreck of our faith. He is the devil, or Satan, or the serpent of old. He is the father of lies. He is the prince of the power of the air. He's the accuser of the brethren. He's the ruler of this world. He's Beelzebul. He is simply called in scripture the evil one. He is powerful. He is not to be forgotten. He is not to be explained away. He is not to be trifled with. And our passage this morning reminds us of his reality and his goal. I feel like when we come to a sermon that deals with spiritual realities like demons and the devil that we have to spend time convincing people in the church that demons are real and the devil is a real being, a real personal being. But I'm not going to do that. (laughs) Right? The Word of God says it, and the Word of God is truth. Right? So we, we will take that for granted. 
right? Those who do not have faith in Christ, those who don't have the Holy Spirit dwelling within them, cannot do what the Apostle Peter starts, uh, starts out with in this section of his letter. Those who are not Christ's lie in the power of the prince of the air. They have a father, and their father is the devil. The Apostle Paul teaches us of this in his letter in his letter to the Ephesians. In Ephesians 2, he says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest." So the point that's being made there is that those outside of Christ walk according to or are under the guidance or the guiding influence of the evil one. Jesus himself taught us that the unbelieving Pharisees had the devil not just as a guide, but they had the devil as a father. You are of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So this murdering, devoid of the truth, natural liar is the one that we are being told to resist in our passage this morning. It seems, if we aren't thinking properly, that that would seem impossible. He has far more experience. He, He has far more years. He has far more power, far more reach than you have had or will ever had. He was there in the beginning, right? and still seeks to do damage. But fundamentally, we must remember that greater is he who is in you, who is in us, than he who is in the world. So though his power is great, his power is, uh, pales in comparison to the omnipotent God. Uh, though, I mean... He, That can be said this way, though his power is under the great power and authority of God himself, he is still a terrible adversary. An adversary that our our passage describes as a a lion that prowls around seeking uh, someone to devour, someone to chew up. And he will sink those teeth into any Christian who is not sober-minded or who is not on the alert. Sobriety in this case, so it starts out and says be of sober spirit. Sobriety in this case is meant to apply broadly. Anytime we overindulge, whether that be in fantasy games or strong drink or vanity or gluttony or, or entertainment or Minecraft or sleep or sports or surfing the web, we lose our edge. And when we lose our edge, instead of being alert and watchful, we are lazy and asleep, right? To, to lack sobriety means we will not be watchful, aware of what is going on around us. We will be numb, 
numb to the many means the devil would use to cause shipwreck to our faith. Imagine, imagine army guards at a post in warfare who gave themselves to watching their iPhones, which they wouldn't have, hopefully, while they're on guard. Um, but what if they gave themselves to watching reruns of MASH as they were on guard at that post? And they had their backs turned, right, to the road that they were supposed to be watching, that they were supposed to defend. It would not take too much for the enemy to overwhelm them. So too with us when, when we let down our guards, when we soften our stance toward our temptations and indulge ourselves, we are not prepared for the onslaught of the enemy that comes against us. And he does so through means, through temptations that come upon us. Hence why Jesus tells us to pray to our Father in heaven and do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil or from the evil one. I mean, think about it this way. The athlete who does not train, the athlete who does not practice, will be terrible in the actual event. Right, unless he's a one-of-a-kind talent. The musician who does not agonize in the practice room will flop when it comes time to perform on stage. The landscape architect right, who does not care for his tools will not have a good finished product. Uh, so too, the Christian who is not watchful and sober will fail. He will not be ready for the onslaught of temptations that arise from his own flesh, from the world, and from the devil. Yes, from the devil. Now, what is it that the devil can do to a Christian? Well, the devil is a commander of an army of demons. Okay, he's the commander of an army of demons. Ephesians 6, 11 to 12 says... Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. And so he's the commander of this vast army of demons. Right? We, we don't like to think this way, right? Modern psychology has, has de-spiritualized uh, everything we think about. And so when we start thinking about demons and the devil, um, about the deepest thought we have is a far side cartoon. Right? Far side. Uh, Larson did us no favors in the church by all of those cartoons, by the way. Uh, that that we found funny and laughed at. But these forces are real forces. You know, you think of, you think of when, um, you just think of all through, especially in the New Testament, the, the, the warfare of the spirits that was going on. Seeing uh, demons cast out of people by the apostles, by Jesus himself, and we have a tendency, because we don't see those exorcisms, to think that, well, demons and the devil, you know, no longer our concern. But here's the Apostle Peter reminding us that it is indeed our concern today. And it's a vast army with a very wicked commander. 
This is another thing. The devil works through temptation. The devil loves temptation. He, in Genesis 3, 1 through 17, we find out how this happens. But the first part of it, uh, Genesis 3, 1, now the serpent, the devil, Satan, the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. The, the serpent was crafty. He was cunning, right? He, he was uh, wickedly creative. Than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said, You shall not eat from any tree of the garden. Of course, we know that that's exactly what, that's not exactly what God had said, but God had said some things, Right? So he's manipulating God's word. The woman said to the serpent, from the fruit of the trees of the garden, we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree, which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. And then what does the serpent do? The serpent said to the woman, you surely will not die. God has told them that they would die. The serpent comes and says, you're not going to die. That is to tempt Eve. For God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw then that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate, and she gave to her husband with her, and he ate. And so there we see the, his method, right? Contradict the word of God, twist the word of God, put something that is forbidden but beautiful before the eyes of man, and then manipulate the word of God. We could also go to Jesus' temptations in the wilderness. The devil, in that instance, also twisted the word of God in order to tempt somebody. In Eve's case, Temptation led to sin. In Jesus' case, temptation didn't lead to sin. And we see passages like this in Scripture. In 1 Chronicles 21.1, we read this, Then Satan stood up against Israel and moved David to number Israel. Satan moved David to wickedness. That's all it says about the, the activity of, of the evil one. It just says that he moved David, David to number the people. No doubt David, in his flesh, wanted to number the people. It would become a boast, right? It was a way for him to boast in his power and in his people. And yet there we know that Satan was also moved in that instance to push David in a certain direction. The demons and Satan use lies, they use deception, they use murder, and every other kind of destructive activity to attempt to cause people to turn away from God and destroy themselves. They will, they will use temptation, they will use doubt, they use fear, confusion, sickness, they use envy, they use pride, they use any other means possible to hinder a Christian's witness and usefulness. That's their goal. Right? We have enemies who want to undermine 
what we are called to do by God. Then there's this example in Scripture which makes it clear that giving ourselves to anger, for instance, opens us up to the influence of the devil and his demons. It says in Ephesians 4, Be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And do not give the devil an opportunity. So our anger, which may have arisen because of the sinfulness of our flesh, and no doubt it was that, right, can be sapped into, in a way, by the devil and his demons. Here's another work that the devil does. He's an accuser of the brethren, right? One of the things he is called is an accuser of the brethren, and we wonder about what that means. In the book of Revelation, we read this, Revelation 12, 10. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of the brethren has been thrown down, he who accuses them before our God day and night. Right? So, so there's an activity of Satan where day and night he goes before God and accuses so what does it mean from our perspective that he accuses the brethren? It means that when we sin, Satan likes to come to us and tell us that there is no way we will ever be forgiven. There's no way that you're a child of God. And if sin against God was not terrible enough, the devil and his demons like to kick a horse when he is down. The devil, as he did with the high priest Joshua in Zechariah 3, or with Job in Job chapter 1, even before goes, he even goes before God and belittles God's children to God's face. Then Satan answered the Lord, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge about him and his house and all that he has on every side? You've blessed the works of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But put forth your hand now and touch all that he has. He will surely curse you to your face. That's Satan before God. God, though, tells us to confess our sins. He tells us to confess our sins and he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Satan may accuse all he wants. We have a gracious father who even receives the naming of our sins before him and forgives us. But there are times when we are locked up by the devil, aren't we? So that rather than confessing our sins, we just stew in these accusations that he makes and we believe that we are beyond hope. And that is, to, that is exactly what Satan would have us do and that is to forget what kind of God our Father really is. The Lord is compassionate and gracious. He's slow to anger and abounding in mercy. And the devil hates him for it. Here's another thing. The devil is tireless in his fight against God and his children. He's tireless. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan also came among them. 
This is the beginning of Job again. The Lord said to Satan, from where do you come? And then Satan answered the Lord and said, from roaming about on the earth and walking around on it. Just roaming about, walking around. Just seeing what sort of damage he can do here, what sort of damage he can do there. This devil roams about the earth. He prowls around the earth like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. He delights in the downfall of God's children. He delights to undermine the work of God. He delights to lure people in, even at times disguised as an angel of light, so that he can destroy them, so that he can devour them. And so, God's, the devil is powerful. Okay, the devil is powerful. The devil is real. The devil is powerful. The devil is tireless. The devil is the commander of an army that seeks to afflict God's children. All of that is true, but the the power of the devil is also limited by God's control. Again, Job, and the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power, only do not put forth your hand on him. Right? You can do this, but you can't do that. You can do what you've requested, but if you go beyond it, no, it it cannot happen. So Satan then departs from the presence of the Lord. So there's a limitation to what he can do. The head of the devil has been crushed by Jesus Christ. Right? Though he has power and continues to do damage, he has been defeated. Right? Genesis 3, 14 to 16, The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you will go, and dust you will eat all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. And the Apostle Paul closes with this encouragement to the brethren in Rome. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. And this really is the thrust of the rest of the Apostle Peter's words in this section of his letter. He wants to, as Calvin puts it, stimulate us and make us more careful so there would be danger lest our hearts failed through immoderate fear except the hope of victory were given to us. This then is what the apostle speaks of. He shows that the issue of the war will be prosperous if we indeed fight under the banner of Christ. For whosoever comes to this contest endued with faith, he declares that he will certainly be a conqueror. Faith. Faith is the weapon that conquers this powerful foe of the devil. Faith is that which, if, if, if the devil hates God most, it's faith he hates next because it honors God. Our faith is a faith in a conquering king. Our faith is that which conquers. James 4, 7 teaches us the power of our faith. Submit, therefore, God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. That's faith. Submit to God. That's faith. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. 
The Apostle John writes, For whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Our faith overcomes the world. The Apostle Peter says, Resist him, firm in your faith. We are to resist the devil. We're to resist him. And one of the obvious ways we do that is by not giving ourselves to those things that tempt us. That we should... Um, that that he would easily use to make us walk for a time in further darkness. We should not be like the dog that returns to his vomit. That which caused us to stumble in the past should be something that we hate and avoid today. So what has caused you to stumble in the past? You have to know this because the devil will know and use it. And, and he'll use it to accuse you and to abuse you. Right? And knowing it, we can take Jesus' advice to cut off the hand that causes us to stumble. We can cut off that which had led us into that sin in the past. And that's faith. That's faith. Faith is that which cuts off the hand that causes you to stumble. And that is the kind of faith that overcomes. A man with faith does not get disappointed because he must give something up, particularly if he has found the pearl of great price. Right? The faithful person would rather die than offend their father in heaven. So resistance to the devil means cutting off any means he would use to draw you further into rebellion against God. And the apostle Peter encourages these brothers and sisters as as he should now encourage you, that this is the common experience of Christians. This is basic experience of Christians through the ages. Resist him firm in the faith, knowing that these same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. One of the most terrible thoughts, and I believe something that the devil often taps into, is that what we is the thought that what we are going through is unique and unbearable. That it's unique, it's not common, it's just me. That's a lie of the devil. Save the cross of Jesus Christ, that only is unique, right? Save the cross of Jesus Christ, there is no experience that has not been experienced by somebody else in this life. In this sense, we have solidarity with the human race, right? And when we experience suffering, it should be a comfort to talk to those who have suffered in a similar way and made it through that dark night of the soul. So when suffering, seek for counsel from those who have suffered in the same way. Satan tries to cut us off from our brothers and sisters in Christ Right, especially when he tries to convince us of the uniqueness of our suffering. That's an attempt to cut us off from, from life. But faith brings us close to our brothers and sisters. Faith brings us close to those who can help. Then we're given this promise. After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. One of the tactics of the devil and his demons, is undoubtedly to get us fixated on this world. 
There are a million ways he could do that by tapping into our fallen nature. The, The preeminent way is to make us think that this world and its suffering is all there is. It is to make us forget that we have a reservation at a mansion that Christ has gone ahead of us to prepare. Right? The despair of thinking this is all there is, that, that this is all there is, is perhaps the worst kind of despair. The despair of burying loved ones and thinking that there is no resurrection. That is the kind of despair the devil loves to see working in our hearts and our minds. But the Holy Spirit reminds us that our suffering is but for, and what an encouraging tiny little phrase in here, it's but for a little while. It's just for a little while. The anguish will end, and when it does, the glory that awaits us is indescribable. There is eternal glory awaiting God's children. He himself gives that which is necessary to preserve them until that time. He perfects, he confirms, he strengthens, and establishes you. Why? Because you have been called to his eternal glory in Christ. Jesus Christ blazed a trail. And you are following in his train. You are as secure as the Son of God is secure with his Father. Because you are with Jesus Christ. You are united to Jesus Christ. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own Son, but delivered him over for us all. How will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or or nakedness or peril or sword? The passage concludes now in, in 1 Peter with a benediction. Right? And it's a benediction about power, about dominion. It's a benediction that makes the power of the devil, though necessary to resist, seem like a, a drop in a bucket. To him, to our God, be dominion forever and ever. Amen. To our triune God, do all things fall out, not according to the pleasures of the evil one. To our God is dominion. He rules this world. He causes all things to happen for his own glory. He indeed, who is in us, is stronger than he who is in the world because he has all dominion. He has all dominion. Though the devil and the demons may roam about, they only roam where God allows because he has all authority and dominion. I'll close with this. Remember that last Sunday we talked about the fact that God is opposed to the proud, right? That the proud have God as their enemy. That is much, much worse than having the devil as your adversary. 
Much worse to have God as your enemy than the devil as an adversary. To have the devil against you is to have a taser pointed at you. Right? To have Almighty God against you is to have omnipotence against you, and it is nuclear. If the devil is against you, it is a sign of your faith. And if God is against you, it's a sign of your unbelief and condemnation. So may God fill our hearts with the fear of him, a strong resistance to the devil, and faith to look forward to the day of our entrance into the banquet hall of the wedding feast of the Lamb. Amen.